Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Srimad Bhagavad Gita as it is, translation and commentary by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Chapter 7, verse number 8. Vasoham apsukam teyakab hasmi shashi shuriyayoho pranava saragavedeshu shaddake polusham nushu. Translation, O son of Kunti, I am the taste of water the light of the sun and the moon, the syllable Om in the Vedic mantras, I am the sound in ether and ability in man. This is Bhagavad Gita. This is spoken by Bhagavan, Sri Bhagavan Lord Krishna. Lord Krishna is the taste of water. He declares himself the taste of water, the light of the sun and moon. The syllable Om in the Vedic mantra is the sound in ether and ability in man. Report. This verse explains how the Lord is all-pervasive by his diverse material and spiritual energies. The Supreme Lord can be preliminarily perceived by his different energies, and in this way he is realized impersonally. As the demigod in the sun is a person, and is perceived by his all-pervading energy, the sunshine. So the Lord, although it is in his eternal abode, is perceived by his all-pervading diffusive energies. The taste of water is the active principle of water. No one likes to drink seawater. Anyone likes to drink seawater? Because the pure taste of water is mixed with salt. Attraction for water depends on the purity of the taste, and this pure taste is one of the energies of the Lord. The impersonalist perceives the presence of the Lord in water by its taste, and the personalist also glorifies the Lord for his kindly supplying tasty water to quench man's thirst. That is the way of perceiving the Supreme. Practically speaking, there is no conflict between personalism and impersonalism, one who knows God knows that the impersonal conception and personal conception are simultaneously present in everything and that there is no contradiction. Therefore, Lord Chaitanya established his, his sublime doctrine, Achintya Bheda and Abheda Tattva, simultaneous oneness and difference. The light of the sun and the moon is also originally emanating from the Brahma Jyoti, which is the impersonal effulgence of the Lord. And pranam, or the omkar, transcendental sound in the beginning of every Vedic hymn, addresses the Supreme Lord. Because the impersonalists are very much afraid of addressing the Supreme Lord Krishna by his innumerable names, they prefer to vibrate the transcendental sound, omkar. But they do not realize that omkar is the sound representation of Krishna. The jurisdiction of Krishna consciousness extends everywhere. And one who knows Krishna consciousness is blessed. Those who do not know Krishna are in illusion, and so knowledge of Krishna is liberation, 
and ignorance of him is bondage. In the verse prior to this, Lord Krishna has clearly stated that he is supreme above everything. Does anyone know the verse previous to this? Without looking at the Bhagavad Gita. Anyone knows? Mata? Mata? Mai Sarvam Idam Protam Sutre He states that superior to me there is nothing. Nothing and nobody. Lord Krishna is supreme. And that we may say, well, we don't see Krishna. How can we know that Krishna is supreme? He gives the example that just as on a pearl necklace, or this is not a pearl necklace, this is a tulsi necklace, which is much more valuable than a pearl necklace. Because pearl necklace costs a lot more money, but tulsi is unlimitedly more valuable because tulsi is very dear to Krishna. So, spiritually valuable. Tulsi wood is worth more, more than all the gold and diamonds in the world. Anyway, this example is being given. Now, this necklace, or it's also a kind of necklace. Now, you can see there are individual uh, beads of Tulsi. Now, how are they staying on my neck? How is that? There's a thread. Can you see the thread? No. There must be a thread there. Otherwise the beads cannot stay. So in the same way, Lord Krishna gives the example that everything rests upon me as pearls are strung on a thread. You, don't, you may not see, but by intelligence we should understand that every, everything that is in existence cannot exist without Krishna. Everything must rest on some basis. The wind is blown. The wind is also a representation of Krishna. Krishna is giving some examples. In this verse we just read today. You may say, I don't see Krishna. But then we should think, when we drink the taste of water, that taste is Krishna. That is, it means that the taste of water is not supreme. Krishna says, I am supreme. But we, just as the pearls are strung on a thread, we should know uh, that nothing can exist. Krishna, in other words, Krishna is the sustaining principle of everything. That is how we can begin to see Krishna in this world. Now, the taste of water. Mostly nowadays, the taste of water you get from some bottles, so it tastes like plastic. Or you get uh, through your tap filtered. 
that same word has been circulated through the sewage system innumerable times. So you're actually drinking purified toilet water. That's what it is. Toilet drain water. The leftovers from the chemical factories. Anyway, it's filtered. It won't kill us immediately. May take more time. But actually, water, natural water, they say natural, and you put it in a bottle and say natural. As soon as you put it in a bottle is, and ship it 200 kilometers, it's not natural. It's not natural to do that. But water that you get direct from a waterfall or a stream, that's very tasty. Of course, nowadays the waterfalls and streams, they're all polluted also. Even Yamuna in Vrindavan, Shastra recommends we should bathe in all the holy rivers and what can be more, which river can be more pure than the Yamuna at Vrindavan where Krishna had all his leelas? Even more purified than Ganga. Ganga is supremely pure, but in the in the supreme, there is supreme and more supreme, which doesn't make sense from the point of logic, but in spiritual life, logic doesn't always apply. So Yamuna is most purified, but the government have deliberately set up factories in Delhi, so the water will be all polluted to try to discourage people, because actually it can be a health hazard to bathe in those rivers. I remember... Now, in, uh, in England, where this miserable body, this one that I'm sitting in, was born, in my childhood, they, they warned that the, just like there'll be a bridge over the river, don't jump off the bridge. You won't die from the big drop, but you'll die from the poison water. <laughs> <laughs> Too dangerous. It's in the Amazon River, it's very famous that if you if you go for a swim in the Amazon River, your your swim will last about ten seconds because the piranha fish they all they'll eat your body to pieces. You can't put your hand in that water. Even if people live on the bank of the water, they can you can never go in that water. So like that, the chemicals were, the chemicals were so dangerous that they were. Dispose of your body very soon. Now they've cleaned the rivers up, and it was reported in the newspapers when they saw fish in the river. So you would think the river, there must be fish, but it, it, the rivers were so polluted that the fish couldn't come anywhere near them. Just like when Kalia, maybe you've heard of Kalia, the snake that was in Vrindavan when Krishna was there. The poison that he emanated was so severe that no no life could live in the water except him and his wives. And the air all around was so polluted that even if a bird flew over that lake in the Yamuna, the birds would fly down there and all the trees around were dead except one. One tree, Garuda, knowing that Krishna would come there, had put some amrita, some nectar, and that tree was preserved so that when Krishna came, he jumped. He 
jumped into the Kaliya Harad, or lake. And, uh, of course, Krishna is not going to be killed by any poison. Krishna is a path of Indhami. Krishna destroys all sin. Krishna destroys all poison. He cannot be affected by any adverse situation. All adverse situations are overcome by remembering Krishna. So, he subdued Kaliya and sent him away. Anyway, water should be pure and tasty. There's all different kinds of water. If you go place to place, you'll find in some natural water means some places you'll find well water, river water, lake water. So it should taste nice. Nowadays, water, like I said, taste of a plastic bottle, it's recycled, recycled effluent. That original taste in water, and all tastes, we, we cannot taste without water. If our mouth is completely dry, we didn't drink water for long, totally parched, and then we're given some dry food to eat, we can't eat it. If there's no saliva, you can't, you can't taste anything. If you're given some dry biscuits, dry mouth, it becomes even if you're hungry, it becomes difficult to eat. You need some water. The body produces some water naturally. And the water is the medium by which rasa, by which taste, can be experienced. So Krishna says that principle of taste in water, that is a representation of Krishna. Rasoham apsu kaunteya Prabha Asmi Shashi Surya Yoho. I am the light of the sun and the moon. Here we have the light of neon lights, which aren't actually needed, but people have a habit of turning lights on, even when they're not needed. You can turn them off if you like. Of course, you won't have to pay more, but someone has to pay more. It's unnecessarily. The energy is being used. Some making more pollution. And it actually, even all this electricity, every time we live in an electric smog, you can't see it, but this electricity, it subtly influences our whole bodily system. Nowadays, uh, cancer and so many diseases are quite common. And one of the, there are many causes because we live an unnatural lifestyle, one thing is that from electricity, it's not natural to be in an atmosphere of electricity. So, you also become influenced adversely by that. So, anyway, you turn the lights off, you're still using the microphone. It has its use, but there's no need to unnecessarily use it. So, nowadays, what is the light of the sun and the moon? We don't consider that very seriously. In a big city like Tokyo, where everything is, pretty much everything is artificial, then uh, the light, what do you need the sun for? What do you need the moon for? There's electric light. But that is artificial. Light, all the lights, they're coming ultimately from Krishna. 
one, there are so many disadvantages of living in this city life. One of them is that we don't appreciate the light of the sun and the moon. We don't appreciate nature's gifts. We don't appreciate that there's God. And we think that we are in control. I can turn, I can have light whenever I like. I can, water I can get from the tap anytime I like. I have money, I can, please give up. This is what she can go through, you know, she wants to go through. How do you give up? You know, you like to come around here? That's right. So Krishna is giving some ways that we can see him. But how are we going to see Krishna as the light of the sun and the moon? And practically you don't see the, the sun, you, you find, find maybe at midday. Otherwise, in morning and afternoon, the sun is behind the skyscrapers. You won't actually see the sun. On a cloudy day like this, you won't see. And even on a sunny day, only for maybe two, three hours in the middle of the day. Otherwise, it's behind the skyscrapers. So how will we, how will we see Krishna? Well, these are just some examples. The, the examples are being given that Krishna is everywhere, in everything. It's a beginning way to see Krishna. Actually, we should... The pure devotees, how do they see Krishna? Primanjana Churita Bhakti Vilochanena Santas Sadaiva Hridiyeshu Vilochanena Yam Shyama Sundarama Chintya Gunasvarupam Govindam Adi Purusham Tamaham Knowing Krishna to be Govinda, he who is uh, the giver of pleasure to the land, the cows and the senses and the earth. Govinda, understanding him to be the original person, the person that we should all worship. They see him always in their hearts. Those whose eyes are smeared with the uh, salve of love, with the premanjana, this anjana, just like this shurma, Kajal, put on the eyes. So those who apply, or those who have the eyes of love, they always see Krishna in their hearts. And how do they see him? In his original form, Govinda, Shamasunda, darkish, black, blackish form. Exquisitely beautiful. How beautiful? Much more beautiful than all the Miss Japan's ever put together. More beautiful than all the Bollywood film actresses. Their beauty is only a perverted reflection of the inconceivable transcendental beauty of Krishna, which never ends. That form of Krishna is Atintya Guna Swarupa. It is composed of his whole form is imbued with inconceivable, wonderful qualities which we can hardly begin to imagine as long as we are in this perverted material existence, being covered with calm, crowed, low, mohamada, matsarya, lust, greed, anger, envy, illusion, and madness. These block us from seeing Krishna. Otherwise, the propensity of every jiva, of every living being, is to love Krishna, to always be with Krishna. 
that we have forgotten Krishna. This is our unfortunate situation. Therefore, Krishna is giving us a way by which we can begin to see him. We can begin to see him philosophically and appreciate. Just like we can't see the thread. Maybe if you can you see there's a little bit of thread. You can feel it, but you can't see it. See the thread. You just pull this aside a little. Otherwise, we can philosophically or, or intelligently understand that for these beads to remain on my neck, there must be a thread. It's only logical to presume that there's a thread. If I told you, there's no need to tell you that they're held together by a thread. I'm just pointing it out for the sake of showing the example. But if I was to tell you that actually the beads are staying on my neck by mantra only, that I said some mantra and they're all staying on my neck, you might believe me, but you're more likely to doubt, isn't it? But if I tell that it's on a thread, of course, it's obvious. When you when we see beads like this strung on someone's neck, then we don't really think about it. We don't, but we just, even unconsciously, we just presume that there must be some threat. It's obvious. So Krishna is saying that it's it should be as obvious that. He is behind the cosmic manifestation, as it's obvious that there are, there's a thread behind the beads. It should be, people say, is there God? Prove that there's God. It's, it's like someone saying, well, well, prove that the beads are strung together, by, held together by a thread. Well, you can't see it, but you have to understand it by intelligence. You could, you could cut the beads, but then they wouldn't be hanging on the thread anymore. Of course, the whole cosmic manifestation is much more complex. But it should be obvious that just as beads uh, require thread to sustain them, so the the whole material manifestation that must be that what how is that all sustained? How is it going on? There must be some principle behind it all. There must be some meaning. What is the meaning? Krishna is the meaning. Krishna is the substance behind this material cosmic manifestation. And actually Krishna is much more than that. In this material world, we tend to think of God as the... He is the creator, maintainer, destroyer. There's the Trimurti in Hinduism. Brahma, Vishnu, Mahesh, creator, maintainer, and destroyer. Behind them all is Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But these functions, creation, maintenance, destruction, they're performed by Lord Brahma, who by Rajagun, or the mode of passion, creates the material world. Vishnu, by Sattvagun, the mode of goodness, maintains the material world. And Mahesh, Lord Shiva, manifesting Tamagun, he destroys. So these activities of creation are in 
Rajas in uh, maintenance in sattva and destruction tamas. But Lord Vishnu or Krishna is transcendental to the modes of material nature, even though he maintains the material cosmos through the activities through through the medium of sattva guru. He's transcendent. Otherwise, if, if he was under the influence of sattva guru, which is a material material propensity, then he wouldn't be Bhagavan. He is the controller. Etat ishanam ishasya even though Lord Krishna appears in this material world, he is not part of this material world. The very meaning of him being God or the controller is that he is not under the influence of the modes of material nature, the three qualities, Sattva-guru, and Tamaguru. So, Lord Krishna is not of this world, then we may think, well, then ultimately he has no, if he's not of this world, then he's spiritual and then there's no form, nothing. Often people think that, that the supreme, this, because we see this material world, everything here is destructible, everything is full of misery, as Lord Krishna states in the Bhagavad Gita, the nature of this material world is dukhalayamashashvatam. It is a place of misery and everything here is temporary. So we may think that in spiritual existence that there's because this material world is made up of form, qualities, activities, friendship, relationships, but it all comes to suffering and death. Therefore we may think that in the spiritual existence there should be no suffering and no death Therefore, there can be no form, qualities, activities, relationships. But that is a misunderstanding. Rather, their form, qualities, relationships, activities are there, but without birth and death, without suffering. So, Lord Krishna, He is not merely the creator and maintainer and destroyer of the material world, but he resides in his own abode, the spiritual world, Golokatham, above Vaikuntha, or the supreme level of Vaikuntha. He resides there. And we are in this material world. Lord Krishna comes to this material world to teach us Bhagavad Gita so that we can begin to understand. Who is he? What is our relationship with him? But how shall we begin that? If we start to speak of Krishna in the spiritual world, immediately there is misunderstanding. Often people ask, why is Krishna marrying so many wives? How is he dancing with the gopis? How is he calling the gopis naked before him? But these are not questions to be asked by beginners. First, we should understand what is the transcendental nature of Krishna. How he is supremely pure, so pure that simply by hearing his name one becomes purified. So there's no question of impurity in Krishna. You say, well, how he's running around with so many girls. Seems impure. 
First we should understand what is the nature of Krishna's position. What is his relationship with the gopis? That can be understood later. First of all, we should understand that he's the supremacy of his position. We can't immediately jump to the highest level. If we do so, then uh, we, we can't understand. And this way, definitely misunderstandings will come. So first of all, we should begin to see Krishna. How? In relationship with this material energy. What is the we can at the present time we cannot we don't understand spirit, but we can begin to understand Krishna's all pervasiveness and his supremacy from everything we see around us. The light of the sun and the moon. What will we do in, in Tokyo when we don't see the sun or the moon? Well we can think that we can that Paurushandrashu he says also, I am the ability in man, so we may think well, they've made these electric lights. It's a, it's a wonderful arrangement. Air conditioning. You may be wondering why the air conditioning isn't on. It's a wonderful arrangement. But it may, I, I, we could turn it on now if you're feeling quite hot. But when I came in, it was too cold and, uh, it was, and the room smelled very stuffy because I don't think they ever opened the windows. So personally, I don't mind tolerating a little heat, but have a little Fresh air, or as fresh as it gets in Tokyo, without all the pollution, with all the pollution. So, anyway, all these, um, do you want the AC on? Oh, you're okay like that? Okay. So, uh, we can see, oh, wonderful arrangement. Often people are enamored by, oh, such wonderful technology. Nowadays, you can see, India lose the cricket match live on TV. Direct. You have to stay up all night to watch it. But you can watch it live. How wonderful. Or you can make your own entertainment show and put it on the internet. So many wonderful things we can do. Scientists, they have made so many advancements. You see, you don't have to go to the river to get water. You can get recycled toilet water right directly in your tap without having to. No effort. You just turn the, turn the tap. No, you don't have to make any effort. You don't, no effort to wash clothes. No effort to go from one place to another. You can go in a car. No effort whatsoever. Everything's done by machine. And then your body gets unhealthy so you can pay Lots of money to go to a gym and exercise with some machines also. So in this way, the scientists have made so many, so much advancement. But where is the intelligence coming from? That Lord Krishna. Well, Purushamrishu, the ability in man. That Buddhiya Bhudimatamasmi. Here in the next verse. He says that I am the intelligence of the intelligence. Purusham, the ability of man. Just like if we, this particularly means if we see some big strong man, what do they call those uh, wrestlers? What's it called? Sumo. 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 Nowadays in India we think of sumo as a car. <laughs> Maruti means Hanuman and that's also become a car. 
Satyam means the truth and it's become some uh, IT company or this uh, using all the words differently. Sumo wrestler. So one sumo wrestler, I think all of us together couldn't fight with one sumo wrestler. Pretty tough. Pretty strong fellows. So that ability that manliness, of course, manliness doesn't mean just to be like a big gorilla. We see Arjuna, Krishna is speaking to Arjuna here in Bhagavad Gita. Arjuna, he's a brilliant fighter, Savyasachi. That's one name of Arjuna. Who knows what Savyasachi means? Anyone know? Mittama Trambhava Savyasachi comes in Bhagavad Gita. Be my instrument of Savyasachi means one who's expert at shooting arrows with both hands. Either left hand or right hand. That's not to be expert in shooting. That's a good ability. But with either hand, either you pull this way or you pull that way, Arjuna is expert. Ambidextrous is the English word. So Arjuna is an expert fighter. Krishna told him, Nimittamatram Bhavasavisachin, you become my instrument in killing all these. Arjuna was enjoined to fight in the battle. He is to become Krishna's representative. Pandavanam Dhananjaya. Krishna says, Among the Pandavas, I am Dhananjaya, I am Arjuna. So they are all the Pandavas, they are highly qualified. But Krishna says that Arjuna is the most qualified, but he's not just some big uh, Rambo. There's the modern, actually I don't exactly what Rambo, but I get the idea that it's, there's some famous movies about 20 years about Rambo. I I guess it's about some, some, this Arnold, whatever his name is, who's now the governor of California. He was the Schweckenhecker or something like that. So he's huge body, like that. You can, you can pick up 20 people like me at once and smash our heads on the floor. Huge, powerful body. But Arjuna is not like that. This manliness, it doesn't mean simply to be some kind of big hooligan or dacoit. But it means to have highly developed, godly, masculine qualities. Just like Arjuna, he develops his power like Kshatriya, as a Kshatriya to protect the citizens. Arjuna is a highly moral person. It's well known that when he was visiting his father, Pandu is his father, Indra is also his father. So his, uh, you could say, natural father is Indra. So when he was in the heavenly planets, he was seeing Urvashi dancing. And Urvashi could see that Arjuna was appreciating, looking at her appreciatively. So later she approached him. So, you appreciate me? I appreciate you too. You look like a very good, strong man. So, why don't we enjoy ourselves? No, I cannot. But you were looking at me with appreciation. I was thinking that from you... Many generations ago, our family line has come. I was appreciating you as a mother. 
So I cannot, even though she's so beautiful, but you see, no, I appreciate you as a mother, I cannot approach you. So then she cursed her, that you don't want to enjoy with me, that's your, you don't want to show your manliness with me, then I curse you to become a non-man, a eunuch, naipongsa. So for one year he had to become his brihannava. He was just like a eunuch, teaching, dancing. So Arjuna, he is an example of manliness, not just some raw strength like a gorilla, but has all the manly qualities, godly manly qualities. And womenly qualities, also nowadays it all became merged together. Men and women, they both dress in jeans or shorts or something like that. You can't tell the difference between men and women. Women cut their hair short like men became strange. Even the anyway, I don't speak too much. It gets quite vulgar. But uh, in Vedic culture, men like Arjuna are praised for his manliness. And then men also like uh, great rishis for their spiritual advancement. And women like Kunti Devi, Draupadi, Sita, they are praised for their womanly qualities of chastity, shyness, motherliness. Even Mandodari is praised because she was always telling Ravana that don't be such a rascal. She was giving him good advice, but he didn't want to listen. And she told him, you give up, Sita. Don't forget this. So these are examples when we see some great qualities in people. We should know that is a representation of Krishna. Nowadays, where are the great people? Previously, people could look up to their parents. Oh, they look up with great respect. The parents were very, at least in Indian culture, the parents were, they would want to set a good example for their children and they would be uh, themselves very moral, upright, religious. And nowadays, you are here, if the, if the young girls don't wear jeans and tight t-shirt to the college, their parents tell, why, what's wrong with you? <laughs> they want, they wonder, the, how will the children look up to their parents? How will they respect their parents if the parents are not respectable? If they don't set any good example? If their parents are drunkards and smoking and always shouting, and how will they be respected? If the children, the parents don't have any time for the children to teach them dharma, then how will the parents, how will the children respect? They won't respect. And then in old age they'll ship them off to some old old age home and forget them and wait for them to die. That's all. But. Uh, this Paurusham Drishu, this ability in man, respectability, that uh, previously that was there. The children would proudly look up to their parents, grandparents, and everyone would know their names of the dynasty up to Brahma and be, be proud that I've come from such a nice dynasty. Now I should maintain that family tradition. 
In Japan also, they used to, they would trace their dynasty back to Surya. They trace their, their descent from Surya. Now all that's gone. Now you see what culture is there? You see the Japanese are all reading comic books. In nonsense. What is this comic? Nonsense. Instead of India also, people are watching TV, all rubbish. Instead of studying Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, Mahabharata, Ramayana, all just all rubbish, stupid TV shows. People are spoiling their lives. They don't know what is the valuable things that is given in Shastra. So Paurushamrishu and Shabda came. This sound, Pranavasaravadeshu. Shabda came, the sound in his, the sound pranam. Krishna is giving these examples, how you can recognize me. Krishna is the omkar in the Vedic mantras, but who will hear? He will hear the Vedic mantras nowadays. Krishna is saying to Arjuna, these are common things, the light of the sun and the moon, the taste of water, the ability in man, these are common things. And the sound of om, that's also common, not nowadays. Krishna is giving these, you understand Krishna is giving these examples, because these are commonplace things all around. Arjuna living in that culture, the, the sound of Om, the, the Vedic mantras being recited, that's a common, everyday thing. All the time you'll hear, Om Tad Vishnu Paramam Padam Sada Pashyanti Surya All the time, hear, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Narasimhaya, all the time you'll hear. Om Shabda. It's always used to invoke the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But nowadays, where will we hear that? We'll hear the sound of the traffic, sound of the TV. Still, any sound, Shabda K, any sound is a representation of Krishna. How will we see Krishna in the modern age? Well, we can see Krishna, there are still there's still some nature. But we can see Krishna in this modern age, especially by chanting the names of Krishna. Haryan Nama, Haryan Nama, Haryan Nama, In this age of Kali, there is no other way, no other way, no other way for God-realization to achieve the topmost goal than to chant the names of Hari, chant the names of Hari, chant the names of Hari. Of course, that doesn't mean we shouldn't study Bhagavad Gita. Chant the names of Hari, study Bhagavad Gita as it is. And in this way, realize that Krishna is the underpinning, the substantial principle underpinning everything. It is Krishna toward whom our attention should be. Everything in this world is temporary. Big civilization, big skyscrapers. Someday they'll all fall down. They won't be there. This whole material world will cease to exist. There will come a time when everything will burn. And they're afraid of the atom bombs. This is the only country in the world where the atom bomb was released on people. 
You don't hear about that when they're talking about stopping terrorism. That was the original terrorism, wiping out Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So uh, that was a terrible event. About a hundred thousand people killed in each place, on the spot, burned up. But there will come a time when the whole universe will burn in the fire of destruction. The time Lord Shiva will perform with Tandava Nritya. The whole, there will be no rain. Then everything will become dry and hot and the whole universe will burn up. After that there will be torrential rain. This is what happens regularly. In the universe. Regularly means we can't imagine. It's, it's scheduled to take place after many millions of years. But that will happen. Beyond this material world, there is the spiritual world. Beyond birth and death, where there is Krishna always residing with his gopis, with all his devotees. Always in eternal, transcendental bliss, singing together, joking, laughing, eating, dancing, most important, dancing. So Krishna, through Bhagavad Gita, is inviting us to come to Him. We don't belong in this material world. We don't belong in, we're not Indians or Japanese, we don't belong in any of these places. We belong with Krishna. So Krishna is giving us some idea how we can begin to see him. In this Kali Yuga, it's a very dangerous time. Our lives are very short. If someone lives to be a hundred years old, we think, oh, very long life. A hundred years is just a, a finger snapping in eternity. Our lives are very short. Our minds are always disturbed. This is described in Srimad Bhagavatam. What is the situation in Kali Yuga? We think we are very advanced technologically. But Srimad Bhagavatam states, what is the situation? In Kali Yuga, the first symptom is people have short lives. hundred years we think very old. So many people, they're passing away. 30 years old, heart attack. Younger even, they're getting heart attack. Cancer. Even children, they're getting cancer. Road accident. Terrorist activity. Life is very short. People are generally of bad disposition. They're not inclined towards... Dharma. They are inclined towards adharma. People think that eating meat, having illicit sex and intoxication is a normal, desirable. Just the things we shouldn't do, they think are very good. This is the situation. And even if someone does become spiritually interested, they fall into the hands of some cheater. There are so many cheaters in the name of religion, spirituality. India is champion in the world for producing bogus gurus. So many, they pop up all over the place. 
so many someone hugs people and that's considered spiritual dresses up as Durga all rascals and all cheating so we're unlucky and our consciousness is polluted by calm, cold, low of all these lust, greed, and the, and the most prominent situation of Kali Yoga is that everyone's mind is disturbed. Everyone is full of stress, anxiety, doubt. No one can, no one can be calm and peaceful. Unless one is calm and peaceful, it's difficult to even begin to think about God and the purpose of life. Everyone just running around frantically all the time. And even when they get some free time, instead of relaxing, they become more frantic. Go out to some club or disco or something. So, it's a very difficult age for God realization. Therefore, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has promoted this process, chant the holy names of Krishna. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Become purified by this method. So, though we are unqualified, we have been fortunate enough to have accepted this process of chanting. And on the order of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, on the order of Srila Prabhupada. We are also asking you to take up this process of chanting Hare Krishna. Take up this process. Study Bhagavad Gita, study Srila Bhagavatam. Become self-realized. Understand who we are. Who is God? What is our relationship? How we can cross over this ocean of suffering that is material existence. And come the lotus feet of Krishna. This is our propaganda. We are making propaganda. We are preaching. Please chant Hare Krishna. Study the books of Srila Prabhupada. Understand the purpose of life. Act according to that purpose. And in this way make your life successful in the truest sense. You are all successes. At least in India, people are very concerned that you should be a success and not a failure. So you're all working in Japan. That's considered successful. When you go back to India, he's a success working in Japan. So your struggle, stress, anxiety is in Japan instead of India. So that's it's considered successful to have struggle, stress and anxiety in Japan rather than having it in India because you earn more money in Japan because you spend a lot more too. So your all success is materially. So we are suggesting that now you all become truly successful by becoming successful spiritually by chanting Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. That's all I'm going to say now. Unless there are any questions. Comments? Anyone like to say anything? Uh, nowadays, uh, sometimes we see the volunteers uh, 
people coming on the Saturdays, Sundays in Japan, uh, and uh, they uh, they advertise about the reading Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses. That's they're, they're Jehovah's Witnesses. They come around and yeah. they advertise you to read them. They try yeah. to get you to read the Bible. So uh, last time when somebody come to my house, came yeah. to my house, I asked him, uh, what is the written about the soul in Bible? What is written about the soul in the Bible? Yeah. You asked the Jehovah's yeah. Witness, okay. Yeah. So he said, there is nothing written. But, he said there is uh, nothing written. Mm -hmm. But he uh, said, uh, it is existing in our body and it, it finishes when we die. The soul finishes when we die. They are ignorant. I, I asked him, it doesn't take another body. It's not written in So, I asked him, what is your opinion? It's nothing written. It's stuck up at the nothing written. It's not here. It is not carrying any other body. I don't know. Whether you don't think or you don't uh, know it. So again he is stuck up with it. It's nothing written. Okay, thanks. Nothing good. Yeah, I, anyway, Bible, it's better to believe in God through the Bible than not believe at all. But actually, just like you say, there's no knowledge actually. Bhagavad Gita begins with describing what is the soul. And they don't have any knowledge of the soul. I mean, there's. I mean, we don't have to discuss in detail, but there's so many defects. I was raised in Christian tradition, and by about the age of 13, when they couldn't answer my questions, I, I understood that they don't really know anything. So, it's a good sentiment, you could say, but they don't know. Yeah. A lot of what they teach in Christianity actually doesn't come from the Bible at all because the Bible doesn't deal with it at all. There are so many defects. Just I, I, one question I was asking, well, if God loves us, then why would he send us to hell forever? To burn in hell? I mean, if you make some mistake, he should give you another chance, right? But they say, if you don't believe, then you burn in hell forever. So, so it's pretty rough. I mean, my father, he's not God, but they say God is our father, but I mean, the father that I can see in front of me, he's definitely not God. Uh, if I do something wrong, he'll punish me, but he will not, no, no, not forever. He'll give me another chance. There's so many defects. And then uh, last year on a plane with a, with a Christian who was trying to convert me, um, I, I asked them, well, what, ha what happened to you? You say that it's only through Jesus. Well, what about all the people who are born before Jesus? And what about someone who's born, say if you're born in Thailand. I was giving an example of Thailand because I lived in Thailand for some time. You could say Japan also. Where the culture is not, it's not Christian and it's not inclined. Their, their culture is not inclined toward that. So you're much less likely to be a Christian. One thing you may not even hear about Christianity. So if you're in, say if you're living in the jungle or something in uh, 
Thailand or you may not even know in their jungle verses anymore. But uh, even if you hear about it, because of the culture you're raised in, you're not inclined toward it. But if you're, if you're born in America, in a Christian family, you're much more likely to be inclined to be a Christian than you are if you're born in Thailand as a Buddhist, in a Buddhist family. So, it, and, but, but according to you, you go to hell forever. That means God creates you to send you to hell forever. He likes the Americans more than the Japanese. And she didn't have any answer, actually. She says, oh, I'll, I'll look it up in my book. She was looking to go up. It shut her up, actually. Otherwise, she was trying to convert me. But uh, she didn't have any answer. She said, well, I don't know. It's not good theology. There's so many mistakes in it. So I wouldn't bother about it too much. It's just that you say, well, it's not in the book, and so I don't know. But if there is a book, that means, if book, scripture means a book by which God communicates to us. So a book means that it's accepted that God is appealing to our intelligence, isn't it? So we should, in, Shastra is to be understood with intelligence, not just blind faith. If it's not in the Bible, then there's no answer. That means that the Bible is incomplete. That's, that's what I said. It's a, it may be a good start, but it's, it's not a complete theology. Anyway, I didn't come here to criticize all the Christians. That's not necessary for this forum. Anything else? Why is there evil? If God is everywhere, if God is everywhere, why is there evil in the world? And the second, when Krishna says to Arjuna to kill others, and Killing is not something people. that God should propose, and innocent people. Those were innocent people. We are saying that Pandavas were bad. Kauravas. Kauravas were bad. All people are not bad. Why kill others? Why God is promoting somebody to kill people? Well, that was Arjuna's question, wasn't it? Anyway, let's take the first one first. God is everywhere, but he gives us independence to choose to serve him or not to serve him. If he forced us to serve him, then we wouldn't be living beings, we'd be machines. Our, as Jivatma, as eternal spirit souls, we are eternal natural position is to love Krishna. But love means choice. If we if God forces us to offer arati to him, then there's no love. So love means we have the choice to serve him or not to serve him. If we misuse that opportunity, then we come to this material world, which is a world in which uh, instead of loving Krishna, we adopt the opposite mentality of envy, and that expands to all so by envying others and trying to exploit others, we create an atmosphere of suffering. In Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna states, 
I see everything and I allow it. Alright, you do this, you do this. That doesn't mean he approves it, but he gives the opportunity because we want it, he gives us the opportunity, but he also warns us through Shastra. If you do this wrong activity, you'll get a bad result. So it's our fault, as Lord Krishna also states in Bhagavad Gita, that, uh, what is that? Purusha Sukadu Kalam Because we've been given that minute independence by the Supreme Lord, therefore man is the architect of his own fortune. Purusha Sukadu Kalam The Sukha and Dukha that we experience We are the Hitu, we are the cause of that ourselves. Do you understand? Can you follow us? Now why should God tell anyone to kill? Well, that was Arjuna's dilemma. Why should I kill? Then you have to, you didn't study Bhagavad Gita. Or you didn't come to the same conclusion that Arjuna and all the Acharyas came to. All the great saintly persons, they've all come to the accepted that Bhagavad Gita is a, a great book of spiritual upliftment. It does seem mm, perverse, but then again we have to understand Bhagavad Gita. One thing is that God kills everyone, either in the battle or just by you know old age, disease. Again, we have created our death by coming to this material world. We've, we've put ourselves in this situation. Um, as far as innocent people, well, there are no innocent people, actually. Everyone in this material world, we get what we deserve. We, whatever suffering we have or whatever apparent enjoyment we have is a result of our previous activities. Because for every action, there is a, there is a reaction. So, Lord Krishna, he states in Bhagavad Gita, that for the sake of establishing dharma, dharma sanstapanartaya sambhavami, I come to this world for the sake of establishing dharma. Gen- hopefully dharma can be established by proper deliberation. And there was plenty, repeatedly, there was advice given to the Kauravas to act in a proper manner. And they repeatedly refused it. And therefore, there is no other way but to go to battle for the sake of establishing dharma. That's why there are kshatriyas in Vedic society. Or there are police in the modern age. Why? Why you vote the person to become the prime minister? prime minister in this country? Is it? Or president? Or what is it? Prime minister. So you vote him because you think he'll be good. But the prime minister may, may uh, you know, he, he may uh, introduce legislation to get to crack down on crime, to punish people more. Say, well, if he's good, why should he do that? Because he's good, because he wants to protect the citizens who are being threatened by rampant crime. So he may let's punish these criminals more. Let's get more tight on them, more hard on them. So Lord Krishna. He personally tried to convince Duryodhana, don't fight. Duryodhana wouldn't accept. 
and there were so many attempts, he wouldn't accept. So it came to the situation where there had to be fighting. And fighting means killing. But uh, even then, those who are killed in the presence of Lord Krishna, because he is the Supreme Lord, then they achieved liberation. So, in all respects, they were fortunate, actually. Anyway, they had to die. If they didn't die in the battle, then they would have died some other way. But for Kshatriya, to die in battle is glorious. Sukhina Kshatriya Parata, what is that? Sukhina Kshatriya Parata, the Kshatriyas, they're very happy to fight because by doing so, the doors of heaven are open to them. Kshatriya is one who's killed in battle, well, if he's fighting for dharma, then automatically he goes to heaven, which is otherwise achieved by uh, performing. That's on the mundane part. That's achieved by uh, performing many, many pious activities. But one a kshatriya who dies fighting for the right cause, he, he achieves very great results. So, all these different arguments are given there in Bhagavad Arjuna ultimately accepted it. So, you please also accept it. But you have to understand, Arjuna, he took the time and trouble to listen to Krishna and he asked Krishna many questions and eventually he understood. So. You may also have to study Bhagavad Gita more to understand all this. No, that's not necessarily, that's not necessarily true. Just like the police, they arrest the criminal. They throw him into prison. Well, you may say, well, if you can justify that, then you can justify throwing just citizens into prison also. No. That it's only for certain persons under certain circumstances that that is necessary. If you, then you're advocating anarchy, in which there's no control, no force. But, it, it, but uh, that that harsh treatment of criminals is required. But not that doesn't mean that good citizens should be harshly treated. So that Chris. It has to be applied discriminatingly. So Krishna's order, he didn't, ad, Krishna didn't tell Arjuna to go and, and kill all the women and children. No, those who have lined up with Duryodhana to support his un, unjust cause, they should be killed. Not, it doesn't, Krishna's not saying to kill anyone everywhere. He didn't say that. If you see the police, they've got their hand on someone's neck and they're taking him by force, you say, stop, that's not good. And you say, well, this man, he requires to be punished. That doesn't mean that everyone requires to be punished. It's a matter of an intelligent application. It's unpleasant, but it requires to be done because the result of not doing it is more unpleasantness. And if the, if the criminal is not arrested, you may say, well, it's unpleasant for the criminal, but if he's not arrested, then it's unpleasant for all the people who he commits crime against. So that Krishna ordered killing, that's unpleasant, but the consequence of not killing is even more unpleasant. That the, the people who are adharmic, 
they will continue to rule the world and then everyone will, uh, everyone, whatever they do, instead of the results of their activities being elevating, they'll all be corrupted by the corrupt management of the corrupt ruler. So Arjuna, he also thought in the beginning it's wrong to fight and Krishna took him to a, a deeper level of understanding. Arjuna was just on a superficial level. Arjuna gave, Krishna gave Arjuna spiritual knowledge by which he could understand his principle. Yeah, anything else? Have you got Srila Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita as it is in your home? I don't think you read it though. No, you only have to read it. <laughs> We don't have a choice but to live in an artificial society. Well, it's not impossible to live in another kind of situation, but there are not that many people who even think of the alternatives. So I haven't completed my lesson yet. Well, I'm just stating that the premise is not 100% solid, but. Uh, I just want to, you know, one thing is I think Hare Krishna, Hare Rama, and even Bhagavad Gita, and uh, still, like, we have to live in this country. So, what else should we do? What else should we do apart from chanting? Forget this book, A Beginner's Guide. I, I might, I've written several books. One of them is called A Beginner's Guide to Krishna Consciousness, which tells you. It gives an outline of all the things you can do while living in the modern world to become spiritually advanced. So here it's mentioned about reading spiritual literature and how to use the beads in the bead bag, the mantras to chant, how to hold the beads which fingers to use, how to set up one's home altar according to the Vaishnav system. So everything's given here very simply and straightforwardly. How to apply Vaishnav Tila, all these things.